As you read the headlines, it looks like things are falling apart, but perhaps they're actually just falling into place. Does that mean the rapture is right around the corner? Well, not necessarily. I mean, it always could be at any moment, but I suspect that it might still be at least a few years out. And I'll tell you some of the reasons why I think that today on the Cross References Podcast. cross-references podcast, where you learn how every small piece of the Bible tells one big story, and most importantly, how they all connect to the cross and Christ. Whether you're a new Christian or a veteran Bible reader, our goal is that God's Word will make more sense to you after every episode. This is Luke Taylor. I'm a minister, and I hope you never hear this. I mean, I write and I record these episodes several weeks in advance, and so as you listen to this, I should be working on or maybe even finished with my study on Ezekiel 23, and that's what you're going to hear for the next few weeks. I write these far in advance and and record them for you and schedule them and all that. And so I'm doing this right now. It's mid-July. I hope that by the time that you hear this in mid-August, that the rapture's happened and that we aren't even here anymore. But in case we still are, here's some information that might help guide you in the weeks and months ahead. As I've said before, I'm a premillennial dispensationalist, and that's the fancy theological terminology that they stick on the the wacky people with my beliefs. I I believe there's going to be a rapture, an antichrist, a seven-year period of judgment on the world, and that that will lead to the thousand-year reign of Christ. And so, as I always say, I mean, I think the time is short. I think we should always be ready. Plan like we're going to be here a hundred more years, but always be ready to go at any moment. So I don't want anything that I say today to imply that we shouldn't be ready for the rapture to be soon. Um, if it hasn't happened yet, I mean, maybe it'll happen by the time I finish this episode. You never know. Let's hope. <laughs> but it's it's possible. Always be ready for the rapture because it could be at any moment. And, and you know, a good analogy for that or another way to think about it, just like we should always be ready for death. You know, you could you could even if the rapture was a million or a hundred years away or whatever. Death could happen at any moment. You know, you could trip and fall down the stairs. I'm not trying to be morbid here, <laughs> but you could die at any moment. You know, even if you don't believe in the rapture, you should always be ready to leave this world. Always be, you know, as I said, plan like we'll be here a hundred more years, but always live ready to go right now. Don't have any loose ends. Don't have loose threads in your life. Don't don't harbor resentment, resentment with people. Talk to anyone you need to talk to and be ready because whenever your time is up, there's nothing that can keep you here. And when it's not your time, there's nothing that can take you out. So it's all in God's control and everything's going to happen in God's timing. And it's our job just to always be ready. So don't let anything that I say today take away from that. But I also believe a day is coming in God's timing, as I said, when all of us Christians are going to be taken out. And it will almost certainly be right before that seven-year tribulation that I mentioned. And we see things falling into place for those end times. And that indicates to us that those end times might be very near. So last time, this is kind of a sequel to last time's lesson. I, I didn't get through all my notes last time, so I'm picking it up here. You don't have to have listened to the previous episode, but I encourage you to. And I encourage you to go back and listen to one that I did in, uh, well, I can't remember now because I record them so far in advance. But in June in June or July, I did an episode about um, three acronyms that every Christian should know. I encourage you to go check that out. And the theme that I've been looking at a lot lately 
is that we see things falling into place for that seven-year tribulation. And so I've been talking about events that are going on. Um, last time I really focused on what's going on in Europe and what I believe it's setting up uh, the, the Antichrist kingdom, his world empire. So we talked about some things going on with the World Economic Forum, the WEF. And then last, as I said, in the month before, we talked about AI, we talked about uh, ESG, and I think ESG is going to be what the it, the the Antichrist is going to use to force the business world to implement his progressive agendas. Uh, I talked about CBDC, C, CDBC, <laughs> CBDC, I think is what it is. Central bank digital currency. That is the across the board digital currency where we no longer use paper money. All of our financial transactions are digital and they are tracked and they're regulated by the government. And I see that paving the way for the Antichrist's financial system to be put into place. So you want to keep your eye on these things, the WEF, the AI, ESG, CDBC, no, CBDC, the YMCA, all that stuff. I'm just kidding about that one. (laughs) You want to keep your eye on some of these acronyms because, um, you know, don't just look at that in the news and think, I don't even know what that means and not read the article. Learn about it. Learn about what those things mean and keep your eye on them because I believe they are leading to the end times. Um, I mentioned AI because I think AI will be something that the Antichrist can use. It will assist him in tracking people and help him to enforce his plans. So I've been talking about that. I believe the Antichrist has this financial system he's going to use to try to force compliance on everybody in the world. And you either comply with it or you won't be able to buy or sell. Eventually it becomes comply or die. You know, we so we talked about that last time as well. Thankfully, I don't think we're going to be here for any of that. That's not my plan. I believe God takes us out of the world before the tribulation kicks off. And I, so I believe that many of these systems that we see being put into place right now, this CDB, CBD, I'm, not, I'm going to stop trying to say that one. <laughs> I can't keep that one straight, apparently. The WEF agendas, the United Nations, the European Union, the EU, all of these acronyms have got the world empire of the Antichrist ready to go. They're just waiting right now for a crisis that's large enough to push all these things through. And so as we saw in 2020, a world crisis can make it very easy for governments to take big, massive steps forward in controlling our lives. All that they need for the Antichrist kingdom to go into place, all they need is a crisis. It's one crisis away, and they could put all of this into enforcement, and then the man can step forward and take charge. And I'd say we have a guarantee, based on what the Bible says, that Christians are going to be taken out of here before God's wrath falls on the planet. But the question that I've been kind of considering lately is how bad could things get before the rapture? We all know that we're going to escape the wrath of God, but what about the wrath of man? And that's something that we may have to deal with a little bit before the Lord comes back to get us. So this is not going to be a real feel-good message today. (laughs) This is a brace yourself for suffering type of message today. And I would say that as close as things seem, my gut feeling is that we might still have a few more years of these things to deal with before the rapture happens. And things could get worse during that time. And I say that because some of this is just kind of based on feelings, okay? Logically speaking, or, or I don't know, theologically or whatever, yes, the rapture could always happen at any moment. Is it likely to happen this year? 
I'm just telling you my feeling, okay? I'm not so I'm not saying anything theological. I'm just expressing kind of some stuff I look at in the scriptures and reasons that might not be so close as as maybe some of us think. Um my gut feeling is that the church, by which I mean the worldwide church, that we haven't really done anything of significance lately. That if Jesus took us out right now, the story of the church would just seem to kind of end with a whimper. You know, it would be kind of a disappointing ending to the story of the church, you might say. Doesn't mean that's not how the, you know, he could come back and get this church that kind of limps off the planet. But just as I kind of look around, it just feels like all we've been doing is losing for the past several years. All we've been doing is diminishing. And I just wonder, like, is that how God is going to let the, the story of the church, this this entity that he's been using to to be his force in the world for the past 2,000 years, that he's been working through, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that this would just be the ending, that it would just end like where we are right now. You know, is there anything else we're going to do before we depart from this planet? That's kind of just what I've been mulling over in my mind. Uh, I just feel like we haven't necessarily done anything of significance lately. If we went to heaven right now, you know, just imagine you get to heaven, you go talk to Apostle Paul, you go talk to some of those first century Christians that we read about in the Bible, they'd have stories for you. They'd have stories of how they were fed to lions, how they were crucified upside down, how they were beheaded, but how they held firm to the faith until the end. They would have a story. They would have done something. The church started with a bang. And I just kind of feel like we should end with a bang. Okay, maybe maybe it's wrong to look at this as so much like a story, but I just can't shake the feeling that the the church is a story. You know, God works. God God has amazing stories of what He's done in history. You know, stories and the stories have a beginning, middle, and end. And I'm like, if this is the end. It's not much of a climax when we talk about the church's story. You know, we have a mission that God wants us to accomplish in this world. And if we were to go to heaven right now, if we were to go talk to Paul, what would we tell him? What are, what are we going to tell him about the persecutions we've endured? Would we talk about how YouTube pulled our videos down? Would, would we talk about how we didn't shop at Target for a month? You know, and, and, and again, maybe I'm looking at this too much through an American lens. You know, maybe there's, maybe there's huge accomplishments going on th- with the church in other parts of the world that I'm just not hearing about. And so maybe, maybe it is going on. Maybe we'll get to heaven. And, and I'm actually, I'm sure we're going to get to heaven and we're going to hear about a lot of amazing things that God was doing in other parts of the world. There's, you know, there's probably more Christians in China than there are in the United States, and they are going through some significant persecutions. So, um, you know, maybe I'm just looking at this from too much of an American lens, but I'm just kind of going by what I'm, what I'm seeing around the world. And I just wonder, like, is this it for the church? Is this the state we're going to be in when the Lord comes back to get us? Um, I just can't help but feel like maybe there's something else that we will accomplish or something else that we might just endure before Jesus comes back. And I just kind of say that based on my reading of the Bible. Let me let me read some verses that are kind of getting me thinking this way. Uh, for example, this verse in Revelation 3.10, where I'm, I'm sure this is talking about the rapture in these verses. It says, because you have kept my word, this is Jesus writing to the, the church in, in Revelation. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Okay, I'm, cer- I'm certain that's talking about the tribulation. And then it says, I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have 
so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Well, I don't know about you, but I just feel like I kind of have things pretty easy as a believer compared to the church that Jesus wrote this to when Jesus said, hey, I want to keep you from the hour of trial that that is coming across the earth. Well, he was writing this to a church that was experiencing intense persecution in the Roman Empire. And Jesus was having John send this information to them to bring them some comfort and encouragement in the afflictions that we're going through. And I just kind of feel, just telling you my feelings, I just feel like perhaps if these verses were to come to fulfillment in our day, that perhaps we would be living in a situation that parallels their situation a little bit more. Okay, right now, I don't have as much that I need to hold fast to in comparison to them. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to keep the faith, of course, but I'm not being challenged to keep the faith at gunpoint or something like that, you know, the way that they were at, at the point of a sword in their terms. But, you know, I wouldn't describe myself as necessarily having conquered anything the way that Jesus spoke to this church about, about conquering. So maybe I'm just being too hard on myself. Maybe I'm being too hard on the modern church. Maybe I'm reading too much into that. I just feel like if if this is if this message was not just meant to them but also meant to us, I kind of feel like our situation should probably parallel their situation a little bit more. And so I just kind of feel like we might have to get squeezed a little bit more by this world before Jesus comes to take us out of it. Um let me mention something else on a little different note. There's lots of verses that are coming into fulfillment as we look at as I've been speaking about on this podcast the reshaping and reorganizing of, of world empires. But there are also a few verses that I don't feel like I've seen come to fruition just yet. Uh, let me read something from 1 Timothy 4, starting at verse 1. It says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. So this is talking about the end, the end times, the last times, okay? As it says right there. And that sounds like today so far, absolutely. And then it says this in verse 3, talking about the last days. It says, Who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Now, are there people who are forbidding marriage right now? You know, I'm not really sure what that would be referring to. I just don't, I don't feel like if I look in the news that I see headlines of people, entities, governments, whatever, that are forbidding marriage. And so I'm not sure what that's talking about. I'm not aware of any religious movements that are forbidding marriage. So, you know, we've seen a lot of things come to fruition. I don't know that I've seen that come to fruition. And then it mentions another thing there. It, it mentions re requiring abstinence from foods. Now, we might be on the cusp of that. I actually do see that coming to fruition. You know, this wasn't something a few years ago that we had ever really heard of. Who's forbidding us to eat certain kinds of foods? You know, where, did, where what would that be referring to? But I keep seeing articles just every few weeks, articles talking about why we should switch to eating lab-grown meat, or even eating bugs. Have you seen these articles about why it's important to eat bugs? And they say that we should do this to save the planet. <laughs> they say that it's for climate change-related reasons. They're posing this idea that we need... Actually, just today, 
as I was working on um, preparing, preparing this lesson, I just happened to see this scroll across on Twitter. Someone saved four articles from NPR, and these are just all from here lately. NPR reports, are insects the future of food? They report, your ancestors probably ate insects, so what's bugging you? Another headline from NPR, at Bug Eating Festival, kids crunch down on the food of the future. So, you know, it's like it's like they've been sowing the seeds to prepare people for this future where they're going to try to make us, b- b- bizarre idea, but try to make us eat bugs or say we shouldn't eat meat anymore, anymore unless you eat this lab-grown meat that they've been testing out lately. So it's kind of creepy stuff. We might see this one coming to fruition that they try to say that you shouldn't eat meat in, anymore. And they're going to say we need to do this to save the planet or because PETA told us to, because we're supposed to be nice to the animals. They'll probably even come up with religious sounding arguments to try to tell you you need to eat the bugs or eat the lab grown meat. Don't eat actual meat because um, they'll try to come up with some Christian sounding answer about how we need to save save all the animals. You know, but just remember what God's word said. It says they'll require abstinence from foods, but it says, but God created them to be received with thanksgiving. Received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. So God said, you know, you don't need to reject these foods that God has given us to eat. (laughs) It doesn't matter how biblical they try to make their argument sound. It will go literally against the words of the Bible. But this is one of the deceptions. A, a teaching of demons that we're going to see in the last days. So I think we are on the cusp of this one. Uh, I'd mentioned the WEF and talked about them a lot last time and some of their plans for the world. They have this posted right on their website. Their website is weforum.org. And you can read this for yourself if you want to look this up. Look up their initiative that's called 100 Million Farmers. Let me read this to you off their website. 100 Million Farmers is a multi-stakeholder platform catalyzing action to transition to net zero nature positive food systems by 2030. I'll tell you why they say 2030 in a few moments. But it says this is their plan by 2030. They want to transition to net zero nature positive food systems. And I'll continue reading from their website. It sets out a shared global ambition while supporting local solutions that incentivize farmers and empower consumers to place climate, nature, and resilience at the core of the food economy. Agricultural systems are acknowledged for their unique potential to address global challenges. Food system actors can feed a growing population while supporting the fight against climate change and nature loss. So in other words, the WEF is trying to shut down farms right now because they say that cows produce too much methane gas and they say it's destroying our atmosphere, destroying our environment, causing climate change. That's what they say is a threat to the planet cows okay (laughs) they say that cows and farms are a threat to the planet that is not true farms are a threat to the wef's agenda because what they want to do is control the food supply because if you can control the food supply then you can control the populace and so one of the ways they could control the food supply is if they shut down all the farms and they have been trying to do this i mean it's not happening in america this is happening in Europe. They tried to do it to the Dutch last year. Just go look up the Dutch farmer protests of 2022. The governments in these Scandinavian nations over in Europe, they're trying to buy out the farms from the farmers. These countries, um, the Scandinavian countries, they are the largest exporters of meat in Europe. 
And the government's over there because of what the WEF says. They want to cut the number of animals in those countries by half in the next few years. Here is a quote from The Guardian. This is a European news source. Look at how they talk about this. They show a picture of a farmer. It says, underneath the picture, it says, Ville farmer Wim Bauer, or Brewer, he sits on his terrace, an emergency red flag flying outside, and his laptop opened to a page revealing he is one of the, the Netherlands' peak polluters due to the nitrogen excreted each year by his 1,360 calves. So the, the newspaper here in Europe is calling him one of the peak polluters of the Netherlands. They're saying this in like an objective format, just saying it like it's a fact. Oh, he's one of our peak polluters because he has over 1,300 calves on his property. That is how they refer to farmers as polluters. When in reality, it's the big cities that are polluters. They're the ones producing huge quantities of smog and environmental destruction. They're the ones who are covering the ground with pavement and asphalt. Farms are not a threat to nature. Farms are nature. <laughs> cities are the anomaly. But this WEF has convinced people of the exact opposite of that. They say it's those rural people who are responsible for the climate crisis. I think it's all a hoax. It's all a power grab. So I feel like if these are the last days, then these moves to ban the, the eating of traditional meat, and that's something the WEF is working on, they could very well play into fulfilling those verses that I talked about. So on that front, I mean, we're, we're pretty much there. There will probably probably be a push for this in the years ahead. I'm just not so sure that we're there right now because they haven't banned any eating any foods just yet. I could see those verses perhaps being fulfilled before the tribulation kicks off. Now, could they be fulfilled during the tribulation and we don't see them fulfilled before? Well, absolutely. Of course they could. And again, we should always be ready. Um, just, I'm just kind of telling you my gut feelings on this. We've seen a lot of things come together, a lot of things that I just stuff we never thought we'd see in our lifetime, stuff that we were like, oh, this one world empire, you know, that'll come together after the rapture. Well, I mean, I guess, yes, it probably will. But I just didn't realize how close we'd see it, how much the pieces are put into place for it. So, yes, it could be very close any moment, one crisis away. But also, you know, there's there's a few things that we could also see come to fruition before the tribulation kicks off. Let me give you one more thing I want to talk about here. Um, one last thing I just want to mention today, it's this idea put forward in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and you could really piece together a timeline of the end times by reading this chapter. And so here's where I think we are on that timeline. 2 Thessalonians 2, it begins, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word, or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless a rebellion comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. So he's saying, don't be afraid that we are already in the end times. Paul is saying here, he's talking about the tribulation. Don't be afraid we're already in it. Don't be afraid that the rapture happened and that the tribulation's already started and that you missed out on the rapture or that the rapture just wasn't going to happen at all. Don't be afraid about that. He says, because the, we are not going to be in the tribulation until the rebellion comes first or the falling away comes first. The apostasia is what it says in the Greek. He says, don't, that's going to happen first. So first is the apostasia and then the antichrist being revealed. Okay. 
Obviously, the Antichrist has not been revealed yet. But what about the great falling away? This great number of Christians who fall away from the faith, the apostasia. Well, I'd say that is where we are right now. I think what we are watching right now, and if you're paying attention to the church, the news about the church in these days, you, it's obvious to you. If you haven't, if you don't see how much the church is falling away right now, you might question, are you, I would question, are you one of the ones who's fallen away? Because it's so obvious if you pay attention, people are leaving the faith in droves and embracing the the spirituality and the systems of the world. And people are just leaving Christianity left and right. Left and left, I would probably point to it more. But people are leaving Christianity in a constant state right now. We're watching a great number of Christians depart from the faith at this present time. That's where we are right now, is I think we are in this stage of the rebellion. And I don't think it's finished yet. I think that this has been the story ever since the pandemic happened. The pandemic happened in 2020, and that accelerated a lot of people who were not really engaged with God to begin with. It accelerated a lot of them toward leaving the faith entirely, dropping away entirely. And more and more Christians are falling away every day. It feels like we're losing faster than we're gaining right now. Like every day there's fewer Christians than there were the day before. Instead of the church growing, it feels like it's it's shrinking. Let me keep reading from 2 Thessalonians 2, starting at verse 4. It's talking about the Antichrist here. It says, Who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining, and key, this is a keyword, restraining. He says, you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. Let me read that again. Okay, talking about restraining the Antichrist. It says, he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will, will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. So it's saying here, the Antichrist can't appear yet because he's being restrained. The Antichrist is being restrained right now. How is he being restrained? He's being restrained by the Holy Spirit doing something at work within the church. So when the church and the Holy Spirit are taken out of the way, which is again, AKA that's the rapture, when the church is taken out of the way, then that restraining force against evil is going to be taken out of the way. And from there, evil can have full reign and the Antichrist can take command. So right now, the church is restraining evil on the world. I think we're in this period of the falling away. And it would, get, it would actually be a lot worse, except for the fact that the church is here. We are doing something to restrain evil. Now, <laughs> it, it, that might seem a little questionable because like I said, it's like we're losing ground every day. I have a question for you. How much do you see evidence of the church restraining evil right now? Well, listen, I mean, I do know things would be worse if we were not here. I acknowledge that. But it just sure doesn't seem like we're doing a whole lot to hold back evil right now. It feels like evil is just gaining ground every day. Restraining, restraining doesn't seem like a good descriptor of the church at the moment. There's lots of straining, 
but not so much restraining. Okay. I'm just telling you what I feel in my gut. I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be down on the church. Like I want, I just want the church to do better. I would love that to be our story that, oh man, look at all the evil we're holding back. Well, again, I, there would be more evil if we weren't here. I acknowledge that. But does, does the world look at us as this great restrainer of evil? Is that, is that the perception of us? Um, I just, I don't feel like that's our story. I mean, I'm within the church. I don't look at it as this force that is restraining a lot of evil right now. So I'm just telling you what I feel kind of in my gut here. I feel like the church is going to do something, is going to make some kind of last stand before the rapture happens, that we will have some kind of show of resistance, that we'll win some kind of victory against evil before we go, that we will finally put our foots down and say no and frustrate the devil's plans before we get taken out of the way. I just feel like we need to do something before the Lord returns to get us. Something that's a lot bigger than deleting our Netflix or deleting our Disney Plus account. So is this talking about something with the WEF, that we don't bow our knee to them and those globalists and what they want to do with the world? Um, Is that what we're going to do to restrain evil? Or is it about resisting the LGBT tyranny that we're seeing rise in the Western nations? Is it resisting these forced vaccinations that they've already attempted to do in the past few years? I don't know what it could be, but I just feel like we will do something before the rapture happens, that we will make some kind of last stand as the church, do something to restrain evil. And so anyway, those are just my thoughts. Those are my speculations here. They're worth no more than anyone else's. Uh, I just happen to have a microphone on my desk in front of me. And so I can share them here. And if you have a different opinion, I invite you to share it with me. I invite, I invite you to send it to me at crossreferencespodcast at gmail.com. Don't tie it to a rock and throw it through my window. Send me an email. If you're on a platform with comments, sit, write a comment there. I would love to hear from you. Whether you agree or not, I would love to hear from you. And again, my advice, it's the same as always. Plan like we're going to be here 100 more years, but be ready to go at any moment. I think most Christians, like me, we're, we're counting on the rapture. We're waiting on it. We're excited about it. We're anticipating it. And we look at a lot of these things coming together in the world right now, and we get a little bit excited. We're thinking we're almost about to be out of here. And hopefully we are, okay? But I just feel like I wouldn't be doing you any favors if I didn't also prepare you to endure some hard things before the rapture happens. I would not be surprised if the rapture did happen this year. But I also wouldn't be surprised if God has a few more things for us to go through before this end of the world kicks off. I mean, I'm ready to go now. If, it, if I was up in heaven, if I saw a big red button and pushing it starts the rapture, you know, I'd be up there like beep, beep, beep. God, I, that's what I would be doing. But I tell you what about our God. He is so much more merciful and patient than I am. And, and here's what God knows is that there are still some people that he would like to see get saved before that happens. And so I, I gave several reasons that the rapture could be a ways off. Um, at, before we go today, let me give you some reasons to think that it, it still could be close. Okay. I, there's actually some reasons, some things kicking off in the very near future that give me cause to think, hey, this really all could wrap up right, right. It could be right around the corner. So let me share some of those with you before we go. Okay. <laughs> I gave you all the bad news. Here's maybe some good news. The WEF, it has something that's called the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. And their plan 
is to reset the entire world's economy by 2030. That's the date that they've been working on this date for years, ever since 2015. They launched into this. It's their 2030 agenda. And it's not just the WEF. The United Nations has accepted this, and they are working toward it as well. They want a global socialistic system put in place by 2030. And this year, they are panicking a little bit. They're saying that they are not on track to meet all of their goals by 2030. Their goals of eradicating poverty and providing health care for all. You know, these are some of their plans they say they want to do by 2030. They don't feel like they are on track to do that. And so the United Nations has put forward a plan and they want all the countries to sign on to it in September of this year. Okay, they say that we want you to all sign on to this seven year plan to make sure that the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development is met. So they have a seven-year agreement between nations that they are going to try to get people to sign this September. If you haven't figured it out yet, (laughs) the reason that that jumps out at me, probably at you too, because the Antichrist is talked about as having a seven-year covenant. It's talked about in Daniel chapter 9. Let me read verse 27 from that. It says, he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. I mean, that week in the Daniel 9, it's talking about a week of years. It's talking about, it says for one seven. That means for a seven-year period. Okay, so I know it says week. There's a whole thing about that. If you go to episode 50 of this podcast, I explain it all. It's talking about a week of years, seven-year period. The Antichrist comes on the scene with a seven-year covenant with many. And I always thought that was a little bit of a weird number to put on a on a covenant or a treaty between nations. I thought, well, who in the world signs a seven-year treaty? Like that's always just seemed like such a weird number to use in a in like a contract. <laughs> I'm like, why not for forever? Or why not for a longer period or or a shorter period? Why seven? It's just such a strange number. And yet here we have one coming up right now to be signed at the UN in September of this year. And some people are saying, oh, well, that's not going to be the Antichrist covenant because he's supposed to have a peace treaty with Israel. That's what the Antichrist covenant is. It's a peace treaty with Israel. Well, that is not exactly what the Bible says. Let me read the verse again. He shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. It doesn't say it's a peace treaty with Israel. Now, it might be. There's good reasons to think that's what it could be. But that is not a claim that the Bible makes. That is a conjecture. It says he's going to give a covenant with many. And what is this covenant that's coming up at the UN in September of this year? Well, let me tell you a little bit about it. I'm going to read to you from the UN's own website. Everything I've read today from the WEF, from the United Nations, you can go to these websites and read it for yourself. Go type this into Google. See it with your own eyes. You don't have to take my word for it. Here's what it says on the UN's own website. We need seven years of accelerated transformative action to achieve SDGs. That means sustainable development goals. They want seven years. Okay, so on June 13th, they published this on the United Nations website. Almost eight years have passed since the international community agreed to take bold and transformative steps to achieve the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development, a plan of action to secure the rights and well-being of everyone on a healthy, thriving planet. Today, at the halfway point to 2030, that promise is in peril, and a fundamental shift is needed in commitment, solidarity, financing, and action to put the world on a better path. 
and it is needed now. The recently released Report of the Secretary General on Progress Toward the Sustainable Development Goals draws on the latest data to sound the alarm for action. Of the roughly 140 targets with data, only about 12% are on track to be achieved by 2030. Close to half, those showing progress, are moderately or severely off track, and some 30% have either seen no movement or regressed below the 2015 baseline. Giving up on the SDGs or extending the deadline to meet them is not an option. The world has been rocked by a series of interleaked crises, the COVID-19 pandemic, conflict, the climate crisis, and a weak global economy. Recommitting to the 2030 agenda is the best roadmap out of these crises, but we are fast running out of time to correct course. So that is what the, the UN has put on their website. They say, hey, we have this 2030 agenda. We've been working on it since 2015, but we're not on track to fulfill it by 2030. So they say we need to recommit. We need to sign this, this um, commitment that over the next seven years, we are going to get this done. We are going to reimagine, you know, we're going to, we're going to reimagine the whole global economy and, and well, let, let me just read it for you. I'm just going to continue, continue reading on this piece. It says the SDG summit in September, 2023 must signal a genuine turning point. It must mobilize the political commitment and breakthroughs that our world desperately needs. It must deliver a rescue plan for people and planet. At the center of this rescue plan, heads of state and government must recommit to seven years of accelerated, sustained, and transformative action, both nationally and internationally, to deliver on the promise of the SDGs. Again, it's those sustainable development goals, the things they want to do to reset our world in 2030. So it says leaders can show their resolve by adopting an ambitious and forward-looking political declaration at the SDG summit and presenting global and national commitments for SDG transformation. Delivering change at the speed and skill required to achieve the SDGs by 2030 will demand that political leaders make bold decisions to match their ambitions. I'm going to stop reading right there, guys. It's pretty interesting, okay? They are putting forward a seven-year rescue plan for the world, and it includes things like having world peace. And the UN is going to be talking about it next month. Okay. Two months from now at the time that I'm recording this, but it's one month from now for you. If we're still here by the time this episode airs. So they have a plan guys. They have a seven year plan. Make sure that you have a plan as well, but always be ready to go at any moment. They want to reset the world. As Psalm two says, the, the people's plot a vain thing. They want to remake the world in their image, but it's still God's world. They make their plans and God laughs. And he's probably laughing because he's getting ready to reset it as well. Thanks for listening to the Cross References podcast. This has been Luke Taylor reminding you, don't just be ready for the rapture. Be ready for hard times. Be ready for death. Be ready for anything.